Man, if you came to hear Leviticus today, you must really love Jesus. Man, you love Jesus if you came for Leviticus, man. I thought this place would be empty today. Hey, uh, we are in a series called This Is My Bible. And what we're doing is we're doing a year-long journey through every single book of the Bible, all year, a different book every single week. I've asked you to do three things. Number one, bring your Bible to church every Sunday. Let me see it. Come on. Let me see it. Every Sunday, it's so amazing seeing everybody bring their Bibles to church. The second thing I'm asking you to do is read the Bible every single day. It'll transform your life. Read the Bible every day. Even if it's just one verse, it's okay. One verse. Read the Bible every single day. And then the third thing I'm asking you to do, and that's for those of you that want to be really challenged, maybe you've, hopefully you've already started this, and that's read through the entire Bible cover to cover in a year. We've put together an incredible reading plan for you. You'll go to thisismybible.io, click on reading plans, and there's a year-long plan that is uh, on that website for you. And if you haven't started, you can still get caught up, okay? You just got to do a little more work, but you can still get caught up um, on This Is My Bible. All right, so turn to the book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus. We are... In this overall series called This Is My Bible, but we've put together these mini-series, these sub-series, seven mini-series within the context of This Is My Bible. And the series that we're on now is a five-week series going through the first five books of the Bible, and we're calling it Foundations. The first five books of the Bible are the books of the law, the books of Moses, also known as the Torah or the Pentateuch. Um, we're calling it Foundations. In week one, we looked at Genesis, the foundation of all things. Last week, we looked at Exodus, uh, the foundation of redemption. And this week, we're looking at the book of Leviticus, the foundation of holiness. The foundation of holiness. So turn to the book of Leviticus. Let me ask you guys something. How many of you would say, my favorite book of the Bible is Psalms? The, the Psalms. That's my favorite book. Lift your hands up. Come on. How many of you would say my favorite book of the Bible is Proverbs? Proverbs, my favorite book. Yes. How many of you would say my favorite book of the Bible is the book of John? Right? Yes. A lot of people like John. How many of you would say my favorite book of the Bible is Ephesians? Ephesians is a great book. What about the book of joy? Philippians. How many of you say Philippians is my favorite book? How many of you would say my favorite book of the Bible is Leviticus? What a liar, 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 liar. <laughs> yeah, there's always one, huh? Yeah. Nobody likes Leviticus. Matter of fact, I said last week, if there's a book where you're going to get bogged down in your one-year reading plan, it's going to be this book. I've probably put more work into this book than any other sermon I've ever done in my life. Oh my goodness, this, this book is, the best way I could describe it, the book of Leviticus is heavy. It's a heavy lift. It really is. It's hard to read. A lot of it doesn't make sense. And so, it can be difficult. Now let's admit it. Some parts of the Bible are just boring. It's okay to say that, right? The Bible says that all of God's word is inspired and that it's useful all of God's word is inspired, 
all of it is useful for instruction, but that doesn't mean that all of it is exciting, right? Just because it's inspired and it's useful for instruction, it doesn't mean that it's all exciting. And such is the case with the book um, of Leviticus. Um, Hear me out. Let me finish before you make any snap judgments here. This is actually good news. Leviticus is not meant for us today. It's not. Leviticus is, for all intents and purposes, obsolete. And it's meant to be that way. It's meant to be obsolete. And so if you're reading all of these laws and all the sacrifices of animals and all the bloodshed, and you're like, what in the world kind of God is this? You need to understand that Leviticus, for all intents and purposes, it wasn't written to us during our time, people who don't farm, who don't raise animals, for the most part, at least livestock and stuff like that. Leviticus was written for a specific group of people during a specific time. It was written to priests, and it was written to the Jewish people. And it was written for a specific period of time. Leviticus was written to be replaced. And do you know how Leviticus was replaced? Because of Jesus. Listen, everything in Leviticus, all of the gore, all of the rituals, all of the celebrations, all of the things that are in Leviticus, it all points to one person, and that's Jesus. It points to Jesus. And it, so it's okay if Leviticus is not relevant today. It's not relevant because Jesus was nailed to a cross, and he said these three things. It is finished. What is finished? Everything that you've read in Leviticus is finished. Jesus satisfied God's wrath towards sin. Jesus reconciled us to a holy, perfect God. And so it's okay if you're reading Leviticus and you're like, this makes no sense. Because it's not meant, what we see in Leviticus was not meant to be around forever. In your notes, or when your bulletin, when you walked in, you received one of these. We put these together every week. Some of you are keeping these, you're making notebooks out of them. It's basically a cheat sheet. It's an old outline that we've modernized to make really cool um, um, so every single book, you're going to get one of these, and it's just a simple um, kind of overview of the entire book. On the back are my message notes. You can also download our New Hope Eastlake app. They're on there as well, and these overviews, if you want to screenshot them, they're on thisismybible.io. Um, so even though the specifics of Leviticus are obsolete, the principles are still applicable today, and that's what we're going to focus on today. So we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the historical content of Leviticus. We're going to look at key people, key events, and then we're going to look at the life applicational component of the book of Leviticus. So turn to Leviticus chapter 1, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, third book of the Bible, and this is what the Lord says. Verse 1, the Lord called to Moses from the tabernacle. So stop there for just a minute. So this is from God to Moses. 
God is speaking directly to Moses. We'll talk about that here in just a little minute, in just a minute. And this is what God said to him. He said, give the following instructions to the Israelites. So this is God speaking directly to Moses, and Moses is to give everything that God is telling him as instructions to the Israelites. Remember who the, who the Israelites were. Moses is rescuing them. Remember uh, uh, in the book of Exodus, he, they had been in bondage for hundreds of years to the Egyptians. And Moses is, has rescued God's people, Moses and Aaron, have rescued God's people from Egyptian bondage. And now they're in the wilderness heading towards the promised land. And so from God to Moses to give instruction to probably a couple million people that have been rescued from Egyptian bondage. Whenever you present offerings to the Lord, you must bring from your flocks. Now underline that word your, because this is important here in a little while, and we'll talk about it a little bit later. But you must bring animals from your flocks and herds. Your. That's really important. Your. So let's look at the historical content of the book of Leviticus. It's interesting to note that the New Testament quotes the book of Leviticus over a hundred times. So we see a lot of Leviticus in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, Leviticus and the book of Hebrews in the New Testament go together. You cannot have a proper understanding of the book of Hebrews unless you have a basic understanding of the book of Leviticus. And you can't have a real understanding of Leviticus until you see what is written in the book of Hebrews. They kind of go together. They're not really part one and part two, but you get a good understanding when you read both um, side by side because Hebrews is all about the fulfillment of what Jesus did that basically abolishes everything that you've read in the book of Leviticus. This is written by Moses. We talked about who Moses um, was. This is a part of the Torah, the Pentateuch, the books of the law. Leviticus means this. It means pertaining to the Levites. The word literally means pertaining to the Levites. The root word Levi, so this is written, this is pertaining to the Levites. The Levites were descendants of Jacob's son, Levi. You'll see another term oftentimes throughout this book, and that is the term priest. The priest was a go-between, a stand-in, a mediator. Priests had to be from the tribe of Levi. They had to be a Levite. Every time you see the word priest in the Old Testament, if you substitute the word mediator, you'll have a better understanding of what a priest is. If you wanted to approach God, you had to go through, notice I say had, you had to go through a priest a go-between. You no longer have to, and we'll talk about why a little bit later. He had to be from the tribe of Levi. And so Leviticus is basically a playbook for the priests and for the Jews. Well, what happens if somebody sins? Leviticus tells you what to do. What happens if somebody is unclean ceremonially? Leviticus will tell you what to do. What garments are a priest supposed to wear? Leviticus tells you. What can the priest do? Leviticus tells you. Um, kosher laws. What are we to eat? What are we not to eat? Leviticus tells you that. What are we to do morally? What's right? What's wrong? Leviticus tells you. Remember, you have millions, a couple million people that have been rescued. They've been in bondage. They've been living in a pagan culture their entire lives. And so God is sending the groundwork. This is what I want my nation to look like. This is what I want my people to be. 
And so that's what Leviticus is all about. It's basically a playbook for the Israelites, for the Jews, and for the priests. When God rescued the Egyptians, or excuse me, the Israelites from Egypt, they were headed toward the promised land, the land that God had promised to them. And they camped at the foot of Mount Sinai. They spent about a year there at the base of Mount Sinai. God gave them the law and the blueprints for the tabernacle and everything that we see in the book of Leviticus. Moses went up the mountain and he spent time with God. And Moses came down on the mountain with instructions, the book of Leviticus, of what to do and everything to do, just like we read in verses one and two. Remember, when Moses came down from the mountain, his face was shining because he had been in the presence of God. All the instructions in Leviticus, this is important, everything you see in Leviticus points towards a Messiah. This system was not supposed to be a perfect system. This system was not supposed to be the final system. This was a holdover until Messiah came and fulfilled all of the law. Does that make sense? Jesus didn't abolish the law. He fulfilled the law. Okay, so let's look at some key people, some key events. These are in your notes. The first one is Aaron. This is Moses' older brother. Remember, Moses fled Egypt when he killed that Egyptian. For 40 years, he went in the Midian desert and was a shepherd. When God called him in the burning bush to go rescue his people, Moses was scared. He didn't want to go alone. He didn't think he could do it. So God connected him and his brother Aaron together, and together they went to confront Pharaoh. We also see Aaron's sons in this letter as well. Aaron had four sons that are mentioned in this letter. Two, the first two, in your notes, they had something horrible happen to them because they didn't follow exactly, they were priests, and they didn't follow um, exactly what God had told them to do. And when they were offering a sacrifice, the Bible says they offered strange fire. A lot of scholars aren't quite sure what that is, but it burned them up. They didn't follow exactly what God had told them to do. And then you have Moses. We're not going to talk about Moses because we talked about him extensively last week. And then you have a reference to the Jews or the Israelites or the chosen people. These are the children of Israel, the entire group of people that were rescued out of Egypt. Leviticus falls nicely into two sections, two sections, chapters 1 through 17 and chapters 18 through 27. And we're going to focus on two key words, sacrifice, chapters 1 through 17, and sanctification, chapters 18 through 27. Now, I wrestled all the end of last week and all weekend with this message. This is probably one of the most difficult messages I've had to prepare, Leviticus, in one message. The relevance of it, the irrelevance of it. And one of the things I try to do as a pastor, like my goal for my message is, oh, it's not, pastor, you preach a great message. My goal is, is this. Can you open the word of God and does it make sense? When you, if you walk out of here and you say, oh, that didn't make sense, now it does, that is success for me. Another part of my success is, did I point you to Jesus? In the message, do I point you to Jesus? That's success for me. Okay, so I prayed all week. How can I make this difficult, irrelevant book simple 
And God, on Tuesday, I remember I was sitting at my desk and it just clicked. Leviticus is about two things. And this is what God gave me. Leviticus is about two things. Chapters 1 through 17 is all about this. How can I get close to God? That's what chapters 1 through 17 are all about. All of the sacrificial system, the sacrificing of animals, all of that is all about this. How can I, as a sinful, flawed human being, how can I get close to a perfect, holy God? That's chapters 1 through 17. How can I get close to God? Chapters 18 through 27 is all about this. How can I stay close to God? How can I stay close to God? And so you see all of the rituals and all of the rules and all of the moral laws and all of the kosher laws and all of that. The entire book of Leviticus, you can sum up in two questions. Number one, how can I get close to God? And number two, how can I stay close to God? Have you ever asked yourself that question before? I think we all have at some point. How can I connect with my creator? How can I get close to God? And once we've made a commitment to the Lord and decided to follow the Lord, I think we've all asked ourselves, how can I stay on the right path? How can I stay close to God? How can I keep God close in my spirit and in my heart? And how can I stay connected to my Lord? So let's look at those two things. I built the rest of the message around those two things. Let's look, first, let's look, first of all, chapters 1 through 17, how to get close to God. And according to the book of Leviticus, chapters 1 through 17, there's only one way to get close to God, and that's through sacrifice. That's it. There's one way to get to God, sacrifice. We see this throughout, over and over. This term, offering or sacrifice, appears 192 times in the book of Leviticus. In the Old Testament, the way that they got close to God was through the sacrifice of an animal. Blood must be shed. There's no other way. Now this is gross for us today, especially if you're an animal lover. But the reality is this. God wanted his people to understand the seriousness of sin. In chapter 16 and 17, in the book of Leviticus, we see that God began this day called the Day of Atonement that was started. It was instituted as a nation, and they were to repeat it every single year. Today it's called Yom Kippur. You've probably heard of it. God instructed this, that two goats be brought to the temple. One would be slaughtered, and the blood of that goat was given on behalf of the sins of the people. Now, listen, there, there is no way, I, I tried to change terminologies, there is no way to sugarcoat this book, I'm sorry. There's just no way to take all of the gore and the blood, there's just no way. That's what the whole book's about. And you'll find out why here in just a minute. Turn to chapter 16. Leviticus chapter 16. Two goats had to be brought to the temple on this day of atonement. And in chapter 16, the first one 
we see what happens. Verse 15, then Aaron must slaughter the goat as a sin offering for the people and bring its blood to the inner curtain. There he will sprinkle the blood on the atonement cover and again on the front of the ark, just as he did with the bull's blood. In this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place, and he will do the same for the entire tabernacle. Because the defiling of sin and rebel because for the defiling of sin and the rebellion of the Israelites. And so we have this first goat is brought and it's slaughtered on behalf of the people as a sin offering to the Lord. The second goat was called, you've probably heard this term, the scapegoat. This is where the term comes from, the book of Leviticus. It was called the scapegoat. The priest would lay his hands on the head of the second goat symbolizing a transfer of the sins of the nation and the sins of the people onto this goat. And then this goat was released into the forest. And as it left and it got further and further away, the priest would watch it the entire time and signals would be given to the people that when it's finally out of sight, that is a symbol that our sins have been abolished. Not forever, but they've been rolled over. They're out of sight, and the people would celebrate. Look in chapter 16, verse 20. When Aaron had finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tabernacle, and the altar, he must bring the living goat, that's the scapegoat. He is to lay both of his hands on the goat's head and confess over all of the sins and the rebellion of the Israelites. In this way, he will lay the people's sins on the head of the goat, Then he will send it out into the wilderness, led by a man chosen for this task. After the man sets it free into the wilderness, the goat will carry all the people's sins upon itself into a desolate land. The only way to God was through sacrifice. We see this repeated throughout the book of Leviticus. When they sinned, sacrifice had to be made. The sacrifice was brought to the priest. Remember verses two and verse, verses one and two, that it had to be from your flock. And the idea is this. Whenever you sin, whenever you decide to rebel against God, it's going to cost you. That is what God wanted his people to understand, that when you violate my law, when you violate my word, it is gonna cost you something. If you wanna sin, it's gonna cost you. But not just any animal, because they would say, well, you know, this animal was born and it's, it's flawed or it's not really going to make it. So here, God, I'll give you the one that I'm not going to use anyways. Turn back to chapter 1. God had specific requirements for that as well. They couldn't just offer any animal. In verse 1, chapter 3, it says that you're to bring a bull with no physical defects. Skip down to verse 16. Again, a male sheep or goat with no physical defects. For the grain offering in chapter two, it says it must consist of choice flour. In other words, the best of the best. In chapter three, we see no physical defects. In verse six of chapter three, no physical defects. In chapter four, you must bring the Lord a young bull with no physical defects. And you say, well, what, what does all that mean? The idea is this. You cannot come to God, a holy, perfect God, with mediocrity. 
You cannot approach a holy, perfect God with your leftovers. That's not good enough. Our second best, our leftovers, are not good enough for a holy, perfect God. God deserves our absolute best. That's the idea behind this. So the people would bring the best, and the priest would spill blood on their behalf, and you say, that's horrible. That is disgusting. That is so gross. Yes. Tabernacles were not nice, beautiful, clean churches. They were basically slaughterhouses. The word blood is mentioned 88 times in the book of Leviticus, and for good reason. Because God wants his people to understand the seriousness of sin. And this is so applicable for us today. Could you imagine if every time, I'll use myself, every time I sinned, something had to die on my behalf? I would think twice before I chose to violate God's word. The Bible says this, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Sin is awful. It's destructive. It causes death. Sin destroys life. Sin makes a bloody mess of things. Sin will kill your family. It'll kill your joy. It'll kill your career. It'll kill your walk with God. It'll kill your mental health. Sin destroys everything in its path. And atonement must be made. How can I get close to God? Through sacrifice. If it was true then, it's true today. It's just, thank God, a different type of sacrifice. Because somebody paid the price on my behalf. Somebody atoned for my sin. So when I sin, nothing has to die on my behalf because Jesus already died and became the final sacrifice for my sins. Now do we understand how important it was for Jesus to do what he did? The Bible says he was a lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. He became the propitiation or the substitute for my sin is what the Bible says. And I get it. I get it. We don't like to hear about sin. We, we, we don't. We don't want to go to churches where the pastor talks about sin. We don't want it. We want more of a pep rally, right? And we don't want a God that tells us that we're sinners and that we've sinned. Like, that's not the God, kind of God I want to serve that tells me that I sin and that I make mistakes, and I don't want that kind of God. Well, let me ask you this. I have... Insect killer, poison. If I drink this, what do you think could happen? I'm going to get sick. And if I drink enough of it, don't wish that upon me. Come on. The label tells me poison, a number to contact in case somebody ingests it. It tells me to wear gloves when applying this. It tells me that this is not for human consumption. It's poison. It's not good for me. What if I did this? What if I changed the label? 
oh, it's not bad. This is salsa. It's salsa. It's still the same on the inside, but I've changed the label. It's, it's salt. What about this? Vitamins. Vitamins. Not only is it, will it kill you, but the label says it's good for you. It's vitamins. It's going to help you. What about this? My favorite. In and out burger special sauce. <laughs> Let me ask you this. As a God who created you, and as a pastor that serves you, is this good for you? If I change the label, if God changes the label, is this good for you or is this harmful to you? Is bad for you. And so I know we don't like to hear the fact that we sin. And when I talk about sin, I always say we. <laughs> because I'm included in the mess that we're all in. God created us. God created you. He created me. And I know we're like, oh, well, God's, you know, his moral laws are outdated, and why can't I do this, and why can't I do that, and it doesn't make sense that I shouldn't do this, I should be able to do whatever I want to do. We can. We have a free will. But it doesn't mean it's good for us. Don't you think that God who created you knows what's best for you better than you know what's for yourself? And we can relabel stuff, and we can redefine whatever we want to redefine, because we're in 2024 and we're smarter than God but it doesn't mean that it's good for us the Bible says that Jesus was slaughtered so that you and I can get close to God because sin is an issue and the Bible tells us that every one of us has sinned and fallen short of God's glory every one of us and so we needed somebody to shed blood on our behalf and that's what Jesus did for us. 1 John 2, 2 says he himself is a sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the world. Not just for an elect few, for everybody. You can read Hebrews chapter 10 for more further study on that. So when we read about the sacrificial system and the sacrifice in order to get close to God, Jesus completely abolished that. That's why we no longer, if you're an animal lover, you should love Jesus more than anything in the world because Jesus abolished all of that. He became the final sacrifice. So let's wrap up with this. How do I, get, how do I stay close to God? How do I get close to God is through sacrifice. The Bible says that I must deny myself, take up my cross, follow him. The, John says I must decrease and it's he that must increase. So it still requires sacrifice. I have to be willing to give up, abandon myself, and give myself completely over to what Jesus did for me. So how do I stay close to God, chapters 18 through 27? The first way is this, through sanctification. Sanctification is not an event. Sanctification is a journey. Sanctification is becoming more and more like Jesus over time. Sanctification is something that we're doing on a consistent basis where we're drawing closer and closer 
to the Lord. Look in chapter 18 of Leviticus, verse 1. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, Say this to your people, the Israelites, I, the Lord, am your God. Do not act like the people in Egypt, that's sanctification, where you used to live, or the people of Canaan, where I'm taking you. God is saying, you're not to blend in with them, those pagan nations that don't worship me. You're not to be like that, but you must not imitate their way of life. You must obey all the regulations and be careful to keep my laws, for I am the Lord your God. If you obey my laws and regulations, you will find what? Life through them, because I am the Lord. You see, this is sanctification is developing godly habits and not blending into the processes of things around us. Chapter 18, he gives them laws on morality when it comes to sex. Chapter 19, he gives them priorities of honoring their parents and keeping the Sabbath day and not worshiping idols. All of this is a part of the sanctification process, holy living, holy festivals, all of these things. The second way that we stay close to God is not only through sanctification, but second way we stay close to God is through celebrating God. Celebrating God. God instituted events and celebrations in the second part of the book of Leviticus for every Jewish household to observe consistently. All of this is a part of the sanctification process. One of the ways that we stay close to God is through celebrating God. And they had events like Sabbath and Passover and Pentecost and trumpets, atonement, Booths, celebration of the booths, the Sabbath year, and then there was a year of Jubilee. All of them were built around the number seven. Passover lasted seven days. Pentecost was seven weeks after Passover. That lasted seven days. In the seventh month were the feasts and the trumpets and the booths and the atonement. Every seventh day is a Sabbath. Every seventh year was a sabbatical year where the land and the crops were able to rest and the, and, and, and the soil could be refreshed. Every seven periods of seven years, so at the end of every 49 years was a year of jubilee. These were all holy days, holy celebrations. God wanted his people to celebrate him on a consistent basis. That's why it's so important that we come to church consistently, that we celebrate God collectively. All of these were group celebrations to celebrate God's power, God's love, God's forgiveness, and God's blessings in our life and God's provision. God wants his people to celebrate. That's one of the ways we stay close to God is through celebration. Wow, why is the music so long and why is the music so loud? And why do people clap and why do people raise their hands and what? This is why. God wants us to celebrate. We're not coming to a funeral. If you can celebrate at your birthday party, if you can celebrate at your anniversary, if you can celebrate at a sporting event, God instructs us. The book of Psalms over 80 times tells us to make a joyful noise to God and to raise our hands and to celebrate. When people walk into this church, we're not walking into a funeral. We're walking into a celebration. And so I want people to walk in here for the first time saying, whoa, what's this party about? It's a celebration. God has instructed his people to celebrate. How do I stay close to God? Celebrate God. God built into the Jewish calendar celebrations all the time for his people. The third way to stay close to God is through holiness. You say, well, that eliminates me. 
not so fast. The word holy is used over 90 times in this book. Look in chapter 19, verse 1. The Lord also said to Moses, Say this to the entire community of Israel. You must be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Listen, holiness doesn't mean that you have a halo, doesn't mean that you have wings and you float. Holiness means this. It's very simple. It just means to be set apart for a specific use. So being holy means that I do not conform myself to the patterns of this world, but I'm transformed by the renewing of my mind. It just means that God's people are to be different, not perfect. Holy doesn't mean perfect. Holy just means set apart. We're set apart for the Lord's use. Not even our own, not somebody else's. For God's use, we're set apart. Kadash in the Hebrew means to be set apart for a particular use. The tabernacle, you had holy garments, holy basins, holy utensils. Those were all utensils that were set apart for a specific use. Chapters 18 through 20, we have moral laws and the consequences for breaking those laws. Chapter 21 and 22 are regulations for the priests. Chapter 23 are the feasts and the festivals. The Jewish people, God wanted his people to be different. The rest of the book is about making promises and vows to God and the importance of keeping those promises. God wants his people to not blend in with corrupt society. God wants his people to have different values, different viewpoints on things, things that are set apart according to his word. And we're going to wrap up with this. The key verse for this entire book, and underline this, highlight it, circle it, and that's chapter 17, verse 11. Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. This is a key verse for this entire book. It says, for the life of the body is in its blood. I have given you the blood on the altar to purify you, making you right with the Lord. It is blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification possible. The New Testament says it this way. Says it, says it this way. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thank God we do not have to shed our own blood or anything else's blood because we have nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jesus came on your behalf and on my behalf to save me from the rottenness that is inside of me. The book of Hebrews puts it like this. This is an illustration talking about, it's referring to what they did in Leviticus, what the priests did. This is an illustration pointing to the present time. For the gifts and sacrifices that the priests offer are not able to cleanse the, con the consciousness of the people who bring them. Why? It was only a temporary thing. It brought forgiveness for that day, for that moment. That was it. But the minute another sin happened, sacrifice had to be made. For the old system deals only with food and drink and ritual washing, external regulations that are in effect only until their limitations can be corrected. In other words, until it can be forgiven, and then it happens again. So Christ, speaking of Jesus, has now become the high priest. That's why we no longer need a priest to intercede on our behalf before God, because Jesus is our high priest. Jesus became both the priest and the sacrifice. 
He has entered that great perfect sanctuary in heaven, not made with human hands or not part of this created world. Once and for all time, he took blood into that most holy place, the holy of holies, but not the blood of goats and calves, and all the animal lovers said amen, but he took his own blood and with it secured our salvation forever. That's you and me. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and ashes and young cow could cleanse people's bodies from ritual defilement. defilement. Just think of how much more the blood of Christ will purify our hearts from the deeds that lead to death so that we can worship the living God. Make a little more sense now? For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as the perfect sacrifice once and for all for our sins. Isn't that amazing? Leviticus make a little more sense now? We're going to close with communion. And I know we usually do communion the first Sunday of the month. But I don't think we could go through Leviticus without remembering what Jesus did for us. Here in just a minute, we're going to sing a song. Maybe a song you've never heard. It's an old song. And if your kids have never heard it, you need to teach it to them. There are some songs, even though they're old school, they should never go away, and this is one of them. Will you stand with me? And at the end of this song, we'll share together. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus.
something to remember what he did for us. And that's what we call communion. This wafer is a representative, is a representation of his body, and this cup of juice represents his blood that was shed for us so that we can be forgiven. And maybe you're here today and you believe that God exists, but you've never made that personal commitment to what Jesus did for you on the cross. Maybe you've never asked the Lord to forgive you of your sin. Maybe you've never asked, you've, maybe you've never accepted that payment that Christ made for you on the cross. You can do it right now, right where you're at. Right where you're at. You can say, Jesus, today I surrender myself completely to you and I accept your perfect sacrifice that was made for me. Give me new life. Fill me with your presence. This represents his body that was given for us. Let's eat together. And this cup, it's grape juice. Just to let you know. It's juice. And it's a symbol. It's a representation of that ultimate sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Because the Bible tells us without this sacrifice, we would not have the ability to be forgiven. But because of what Jesus did for us, we can be forgiven. And this represents that. Let's drink together. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for each person here today. And Father, if there are people here that have never made that connection with you, they want to get close to you I pray that today is that day and father maybe there's some people they've made that connection at some point but maybe they've kind of wandered off a little bit they've kind of gone on another path what's amazing is that not only do you forgive us of our sin but you continue to forgive and your word says if we confess our sin you're faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us all over again from all unrighteousness. And so if there are some people that maybe they've wandered off a little bit and they want to get back on that path, I pray that right now that they'd make that decision and a commitment to you and say, Lord, I need to get back on that path. Not only do I need to connect with you, I want to stay connected with you. The Bible says if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. So Father, I just pray that you help us to celebrate you, to remember, and to be grateful for what you've done for us. Thank you for that reminder in Leviticus. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you need, if you need prayer today, if you need somebody to talk to, there are pe people up here as we dismiss that will be up here at the front that will talk with you and pray with you about needs that you might have. God bless you guys.